change? Well, I changed the desktop picture just to, in hopes that this would work on here, and it still doesn't. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So today we are looking, remember two weeks ago, we looked at, we finalized uh, self-creation, our study on self-creation. So today we're going to kind of blend the final two, the two uh, final possibilities, uh, self-existent, self whether it's just matter or whether uh, reality comes from a being who is self-existent. Um, so real briefly though, let's look at the four possibilities again. Illusion, which we've eliminated. Self-creation, which we've categorically eliminated, <laughs> and now we are going, and briefly, let's recognize we've, we've now come to the only possibility left is a being who is self-existent or something. So basically, the possibility to explain reality as we encounter it must come from something <laughs> that is self-existent and eternal. And that's what we're going to get at. But briefly, what we're going to do is look at self-existence. So remember when we looked at self-existence versus self-creation, right? And we, we, we showed how self-creation is just manifestly absurd. It's, it's, it's false by definition. Remember, it's analytically false. Whereas self-existence, the term, there's nothing logically inconsistent in, or incoherent with the term self-existence. There's nothing logically absurd about this. Now, philosophers have gone so far sometimes in rationalism or in reason, they, they'll, 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 they believe that if you can conceive of anything, if you can conceive of anything realistically, then that thing must exist. We are not going to do that. And I reject that categorically as well. We're not going to do that, okay? Just because we can conceive of a self-existent, because I can conceive of a unicorn. You know, we, can, we all can conceive of a unicorn, unicorn because we can abstract and combine different realities, different actual realities that we see out there. So we borrow a horn from something like a rhinoceros, slap it on a horse. You know, we can just as easily do that with a duck. Just because we can conceive of it, though, doesn't make it real, okay? So where we are now is we're going to ask, is this logically possible, okay? Um, let me just make sure, okay, yeah. Okay, now when we see these two um, possibilities side by side, they can seem so similar, you know, the people, and we've already seen that self-creation is manifestly absurd. So people will basically say, well, if self-creation is manifestly absurd, then so is self-existence. Self so basically what we're, what we're determining is which absurd idea to embrace. These are not the same as we've discussed, but, it, it, you know, it's easy to, to, uh, to uh, come there. Um, if it's self, yeah. Um, yeah, there's nothing rational about that. Okay. And remember, when we looked at uh, Bertrand Russell and Stuart Mills, or John Stuart Mills, who, 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 remember the law of causality? Every effect must have an antecedent cause, must have a cause that comes before it. And he and, he and John Stuart Mills both got that completely confused. They think that everything, if everything must have an effect, 
that necessarily God must have an effect and, and so forth. So, again though, the law of causality doesn't say everything must have an effect. It's just basically saying every cause must have an effect. However, okay, let me, let me just make sure we're going in order here. Because again, I wanted to combine these, and so we briefly need to look at this again, but just kind of in a different context. Um, again, but the idea of an uncaused being is completely rational, right? An uncaused effect, by definition, is absurd. Because an effect, by definition, is that which has a cause. And conversely, it's only a cause if it generates an effect. Okay? Um, so, a self-existent and eternal being is not absurd. Um, yeah. So, reason allows for the one and not for the other. Okay? So, crossing that out, finally. Right? Now, we just said, we just mentioned, that just because we can conceive of this being doesn't make it so, right? Because just because we can logically conceive of anything doesn't make it rationally, doesn't make it real in reality, right? Because we can also just conceive of nothing ever having existed, and nothing existing now, and nothing ever having existed. We can conceive of that. But again, the moment we take that step that we took at the beginning of this part where if anything exists then necessarily this self-existent eternal being not only logically exists he necessarily exists this self-existent eternal being we haven't determined if it's matter or God however this being there must be a self-existent eternal being and we'll see why as we go along but this is not only logically true this is necessarily true this is very important this court this part we are going to be closing out of the these four possibilities so we need to pay attention here okay i know it's going to be some overview of what we've been looking at but but some of this you know is a little esoteric sometimes a little bit difficult to understand and, and fully you know grasp so just want to kind of point that out at the outset and uh you know i'm going to try to go uh, a little slowly here um so yeah again if something exists that changes everything um yeah and so let's explore this a little bit a little bit more remember we had uh, we had we had mentioned that the attribute of self-existence is what is what uh, theologians call a seity Aseity is that power of self-existence. Because every effect, all which is generated, all which has a cause, you look in reality, you look in the universe, and pretty much everything you see has been caused, right? So necessarily, there must be an uncaused first cause. Remember, even Aristotle, in his concept of God, saw that. And there must be an unmoved mover. Both of those concepts are going to be important as we go along. Um, yeah, inherently, also, inherently, not only is this, is this being a necessary being, but if they don't, if there is no self-existent, you know, being or anything, then there's no way a self-existent be being or something can't exist. 
A self-existent eternal being exists by necessity, by its own power. There's no if if it ever if there is if there is ever a time where this self-existent being dies or changes, then it's not a self-existent being. This self-existent being or thing has to be eternal. It has to have the power to generate everything, but that being or that thing has to have the power of existence in itself. Again, so if anything, you know, if this, if whatever this is, is changing, then it's not a self-existent being. Okay. Okay, let's review. This is Thomas Aquinas. Remember, we had looked at him in all sorts of different areas, but ends necessarium, this, one of his five arguments for the, for the existence of God is necessary being, okay? Now, uh, it, or ends necessarium. It, remember ends perfectissimus? Remember uh, that means the, the perfect being because God is also the perfect being. But this is, he's saying that, that this, be, this God is necessary in really two ways. He's necessary by virtue of rationality, which we've discussed, uh, that if something exists, something must have always existed. Again, if there was ever, again, as we've mentioned, if there ever was a time when there was nothing, what would there be now other than nothing, right? Um, or unless it self-created itself, which we've already eliminated. That's tacitly absurd. Um, and now some will say there, there, there are scientists who argue that something can generate itself out of quantum mechanics and so forth, which we briefly discussed last time. Science has shown no such thing. Science shows a lot of mysteries, things we can't explain in our modern scientific language or modern scientific paradigm, uh, but it shows nothing of a self-creation um, or, or anything. And this... This part is very important, okay? It's especially with the Christian because the guns of the scientific criticism are largely pointed at creation. Because if you can get rid of a creator, theism, particularly Christianity, falls, okay? So what we want to do is turn those guns around on themselves because what they are positing is logically absurd. Again, self-creation by any other name is still self-creation, okay? Now, so one reason, one reason he's a necessary being is logically. The other reason he, is that he's ontologically necessary. Remember, we've looked, we know what ontology is, the study of being. So he's both logically necessary and he's ontologically necessary. Now, when we say that God is ontologically necessary, will mean is that he exists necessarily in his being. That being, because he has the power of being in himself. If there ever is anything, he exists necessarily. His being necessarily exists. Um, yeah, he exists because he has the power of being within himself in such a way so that this being cannot not be. That's what I'm trying, this, again, this is something that is very essential. Is very important, and the more you meditate on this, the more you'll understand this and grasp it, because this is crucial. And, and it, this is—I mean, I can just tell you this, but this this does take contemplation. All of this does, okay. But we're going to be finishing this part. But this is very crucial, okay. I just need, I need y'all to get this. Um, so, and 
there's a difference. There's a clear difference between this being, remember, we briefly looked at Aquinas' analogy of being as well, right? Do y'all briefly, either way. This is a difference in being. He is a completely different being than any other being. This self-existent being must be different than any other being, okay? Because again, I have ontological status, right? We briefly looked at this, and I don't mean to be morbid, it just makes a point. That a hundred years ago, there was no such thing as James Myers III. You know, and a hundred years from now, likely, you know, there's, there won't be any more than either. The being, our being, so you can trace my life in time, right? There was a time where I began, and there's going to be a time where I die. And in between that time, there's been mutations, there's been uh, all sorts of changes and getting older and all sorts of different things. God is not that way. There was never a time where he was not. There's definitely never going to be a time where he dies. And he is never changing. Now that's crucial. And that's something that you're going to have to meditate upon. Because again, when he, when he acts based on our prayer, what does that look like? What does that look like? When he generated the, all of creation and still remained unchanging. How is that? That's something we can discuss, but that's something that you have to contemplate. That's something that you have to consider. But his being is completely different than our being or any other being. It's crucial you understand that. So he's a necessary both logically and ontologically. We, we briefly looked at this when we looked at ontology, but this kind of goes into more um, more uh, detail regarding that. Um, yeah, again, you can ch trace many changes through these beings because that is an inherent, inherent characteristic of creatureliness or of creation. This, this change, this mutation, this, this decay, this degeneration and all of that. Um, again, this being cannot help but be. Because uh, that which is in a state of pure being cannot not be. Um, uh, remember when, when Moses was in the uh, Midianite wilderness and he sees the burning bush and it's not consumed. And all of a sudden he hears a voice coming out of the bush. We kind of briefly looked over this or, or talked about this. But, you know, he sees the bush and hears the voice coming out of the bush and says, you know, Moses... Remove your sandals from off your feet because the ground on which you're standing is holy ground. And remember, the first question Moses starts to ask is, Who am I? Who am I that I should be, you know, I should go to Pharaoh? And who am I that I should go tell the people I'm here to deliver you and all this kind of thing? And, and God keep, answers him. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Moses asks the key question. Both of those questions are key. But turned to God and said, Who are you? So first... Who am I? Second question, who are you? And that's where we get his eternal name, the name he has forever, Yahweh, which means I am who I am. That's an ontological, that's an ontological referent. And when he says I am, he didn't, he doesn't say I was, I'm gonna be, <laughs> you know. I, you know, I might be, he says, I am who I am eternally, forever. Okay. Um, so now we're going to move. 
to whether this self-existent thing is matter or God. So if it has a name or if it's matter itself. So there are those who actually do believe in self-existence. So scientists, secularists who do, who do accept the fact that self-creation is manifestly absurd. So they believe, particularly materialism, materialists believe that, that the universe is eternal. Okay, and so, now, let me, okay, let me make sure we have here, um, okay, there are many theories that have, that, have, that, that have been postulated speaking of the creation of the universe, where it came from, where it all started, the most recent one, and I wanted to talk about this one specifically because we briefly, you know, Emily had asked about it, and so we're going to use this one. The Big Bang, the Big Bang Theory, which wasn't accepted when it was originally introduced, just so you know. But now it's basically seemingly won the day. But there are many different ways that science, scientists even see this. There, there are different articulations. There are different ways in which this is viewed. But these people, so, so some of the self-creationists will actually believe that, that, that that's the self-creation. These people, so the Big Bang, just in, in you know, common language kind of a thing, they, they basically say that, that all of the universe, all of everything, was 15 to 18 billion years ago compacted in what they call the point of singularity. Completely organized, but it's called the point of singularity. And one day, it exploded. Okay? And that's where and all of matter, all of gases emerge from that, and then they mix together to form different gases. But now, all of, so it's changing from organization, a, a pure singularity of organization, to disorganization. That's why, they, that's why they say, you know, eventually the universe will implode and become a black hole or whatever. Because, but it is going from organization to disorganization. Okay, that's what they see. Um, and again, some see self-creation in that. Some see the self-existent eternal being basically that point of singularity, okay? Essentially. Because what they say is that, that, that this self-existent eternal being is basically the sum total of all reality, okay? It, 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 it's beyond the real, but it's the sum total, okay? Now, this is where it gets a little confusing and, and like where, where it starts to get absurd. Because if it's a sum total of everything, does that mean this book is eternal? We know it's not. I could tear this thing apart right now and render it completely useless and therefore pretty much destroying it. We know this isn't eternal. We know we're not eternal. So what part of the universe or reality is eternal? Um, wow. Okay, I'm skipping over all sorts of stuff, but that's fine. Because we're... Because we're just looking at this uh, briefly anyway. Um, now, if we do see, and in that Big Bang though, even with these people who, who, who at least recognize self-existence is the only logical postulate, okay, then the, the million dollar question has to be what caused the Big Bang. The law of inertia stays, says any, um, any, what is it? any object at rest tends to stay at rest unless acted upon by an outside force. 
Any object in motion tends to remain in motion unless obstructed by an outside force. We see this in golf. This is what makes the game of golf possible. And it's what makes it so frustrating <laughs> because it makes it, every golfer wants to hit his shot as far as he can, right? If he, if he, if he can drive it 200 yards, he wants to drive it 250. If he can dri drive it 250, he wants to drive it 300 yards. He always wants to do it more, 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 more. But he can't because of these, of these restricting things like gravity. Um, and, and, but again, so inertia, first thing that the golfer does, we've mentioned this, but when he's about to hit his ball, the ball is at rest, the, 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 the player initially is at rest, and he goes and he dresses the ball, right? And he's at rest and he says, good morning ball. Remember we talked about that? And then he takes his swing, his club, and he, so he's putting it in motion, he's setting it in motion, or she, whoever, uh, and then swings and hits that ball, which is at rest, and it goes and goes and goes. Now, if there were no factors impeding that, the ball would just go on forever, and we'd be done. There'd be no such thing as a game of golf. So it's the one thing that makes it possible, but it's also the one thing that makes it pretty frustrating. Okay. Um, okay. So again, what caused the Big Bang? That's the quintessential question. What caused the Big Bang? Um, and everything I've read, all, all that I've come across, the only answer I can find is that they don't have to go there. Is that scientists don't have to go beyond this. They, they don't have to come up with the ultimate cause. They, they just, that's, they say basically, that's where it stops being science and it goes into the realm of <coughs> philosophy or theology or religion or whatever. But if you're going to posit this as the, as the you're going to pin all your hopes on creation and on, on, on all of reality on this, and then you stop, you just stop there. Remember, the law of causality is essential in science. It's one of the pillars of science. And to just go to the ultimate cause of everything and then just say, nope, we're done. That is a cop-out. That is a cop-out academically. That is a cop-out intellectually. To go this far and no farther is just a cop-out. Christianity has a ready explanation. Okay, these people do not. And what we're gonna start, so that's all we're gonna look at, look at really um, in regards to the Big Bang, okay? Um, because remember, the unmoved mover, remember nothing moves. So that's what would cause the Big Bang. There must be an unmoved move. Even if we want to accept the idea of some sort of Big Bang, we can, I, I, I tend to, but, you know, logically, I don't see why we have to just be completely against it, but I think there's some danger in just inherit, inheriting some of these scientific uh, ideas like evolution and just trying to, trying to you know, merge them with, uh, with uh, Christianity and the Bible. I think there can be some danger in that, but I can also see that, you know, um, First of all, it, it, it does apply. It is applicable where, where it's applicable. So basically, all that to say, if we want to see the Big Bang in, in a Christian perspective, we can. 
We can. Because whatever, you know, let's say all of this was in point of singularity and God blew it up, you know, and set everything in motion. There, that's logically feasible. Nothing causing this explosion is absurd. It's absolutely nonsensical. Okay, now, now we're going to get into materialism. So these people, again, will say that this self-existent thing is beyond, it, it, but it is the sum total of everything. And then you ask, you know, well, what is this self-existent, what is the sum total of? <laughs> you know? And so, what they'll, let me see where I am on this next one. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we can do this fairly easily. Okay, so what they'll say, um, they don't care for the idea that we believe in, in uh, this self-existent being as being necessarily transcendent. That's an important word, okay? And we're going to get into that. But, uh, wait a minute. Yeah, again, these materialists won't say the book is eternal, the sun's not eternal. Uh, again, chief characteristic of matter is immutability, change, it undergoes change. Um, yeah, right. So that everything we find within the universe that has changed, it can't, can't be the ultimate core of being we've been discussing. Uh, yeah, but again, just because they're saying, just because these aren't self-existent and eternal, they're saying basically it comes from this self-existent eternal thing. Um, yeah, it's a bunch of, right, some total, sorry, I'm trying to go through all this. I just want to make sure I don't change anything, or I don't miss anything. Um, so again, I, what I'm asking is, is this book in its individ, individuated form uh, eternal? Um, and at this as yet undiscovered point of this self-existent eternal thing, uh, is that the part that caused this explosion? That's what we're asking these people. Okay. Um, and that all that is generated th through the power that comes from this pulsating force. Okay. So transcendence. Again, so these people, these people reject the idea that this self-existent eternal thing has to be transcended. They'll, they'll, they'll basically say, you know, what's, what's with you Christians? You know, why do you insist that, that this, this self-existent eternal thing has to be outside of the universe. You know, why can't it be part of the universe? My answer to that is, it can. It absolutely can. It all, it all depends on how you define universe. If you're talking about the universe as far as all that exists, then of course, God can be subsumed under that category because he exists. If you're talking about the universe in its individuated forms in its many different forms then no then no he is not a part of that 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 universe in that sense because there's a distinction between him he who is eternal and everything else who is not remember the difference in being okay this is very important now this is crucial transcendence this is important to understand transcendence has nothing to do with God's location. It's not a geographical description. Transcendence has to do with being. It's an ontological difference. God's being 
is completely high. He's of a higher being than we are. His being is therefore transcendent. We don't care where he lives. Essentially, transcendence is the being. Okay? So, if you get to this point, right, there has to be this distinction. There has to be a distinction between this generating power and all that this power generated. Now, that's an important word, generated. It's an important word that I skipped over. But that's where we get Genesis from. To generate is to bring something that wasn't there the first time. When you generate a child, that's, that's why we call them generations, because these are generated people. <laughs> you know? So generate is a very important word. Okay, so they're, they're talking about this generating power. So you have to distinction, distinguish between this generating power and the thing that this power caused, right? Obviously. Whether you call, now, whether you call that X or Yahweh is somewhat superficial for them. I mean, you know, obviously it's not superficial in the grand scheme of things, but ultimately what we're saying is that distinction is necessarily is necessary. What they believe is this self-existent eternal thing is imminent. That means it's part of the universe, which we talked about, because imminentist basically is um, um, uh, what is that theory? Uh, pantheon? No. Poly yes, pan pantheist. Yeah, uh, where all is God and God is all. That's, that's the imminentistic. And again, when you say God is all and God, all is God, you, there's no distinction. There's no, there's no difference in being. You know, basically, it makes the term God irrelevant. It makes it undefinable. It makes it, 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 makes it nothing. It makes it no thing. <laughs> Remember? And so when these people are talking about that this self-existent self eternal thing is part of the universe, that is categorically and logically absurd. It can't be. There has to be a distinction. That's why it's very important that you, you know, what is this, you know, what, what is this part of the universe that you're saying, you know, is this generating power and everything? And then you say it's the sum total of all the universe. You haven't shown, you, you know, there's no thing there. And they keep on just coming up with this scientific jargon that makes no sense. <laughs> they don't define anything. They just keep on pointing to the universe as self as being self-existent and eternal. And they, but then they'll say that the universe was in this point of singularity, and then exploded on a random Tuesday. And you know, they never actually distinguish between the two. They'll say they are, but they don't. They don't. You'll, so you'll get these people who either believe in some form of self-creation. Or will say that there's no need to go beyond that. The ultimate cause of everything. You know, they just don't have to explain it. They don't have to go there. Or they'll say that it's the universe itself and never show you how. There's no way to show you how. There, the distinction is necessary. Again, God's necessary being. He's, it, he's necessary logically and ontologically. Is being 
must be. Otherwise, there's nothing else. He must be the generating power. All other options are basically the universe. So the creation itself created itself. God is the only option left. This, this eternal being. Does everybody understand this? Okay, now we're going to start moving because everything, now, because this is very exciting for me, because everything we've been looking at so far in our, in this court, this series specifically in apologetics, has all been philosophical. All philosophical, as, you know, other than, you know, pointing to some verses that apply to our study. And a lot of people, particularly, I mean, Christians, will bemoan this. Um, Paul uh, warns against um, believing in uh, vain philosophies, and so uh, a lot of people will say that. And, you know, basically the response to that is, how can you beware of these philosophies unless you're first aware of these philosophies. Anyway, uh, but also what we want to show is that this, we're going to start linking all of this to the Bible, finally starting next week. We're going to have about a month or so maybe, um, and then we'll, we'll, we'll conclude this series. But I want to show how apologetics is applied in the Bible and, you know, uh, referring to the Bible and using the Bible in apologetics as well but how really everything we've looked at so far, we are going to see how that manifests in the Bible. Okay, just so, so I make that clear because that's, that part's very exciting. Right now, today, we, we've finally proven God exists, this eternal self-existent being. Whether he's Yahweh, whether he's Allah, <laughs> whether he's whomever, uh, that's, that's what we're really gonna get into next week. Okay, any questions? I forgot to change it. <laughs> All right, our excerpt for today, we're really just gonna uh, continue from um, last time. Uh, and we'll briefly discuss this. This is pretty simple and doesn't take much explanation, but. Ooh. All right. Let them perish from thy presence, O God, as vain talkers and deceivers of the soul perish, who, when they observe that there are two wills in the act... Okay. I can't stop. Okay. <laughs> uh, that there are two wills in the act of deliberation. Go on to affirm that there are two kinds of minds in us, one good, the other evil. They are indeed themselves evil when they hold these evil opinions, and they shall, uh, and they shall become good only when they come to hold the truth and consent to the truth that thy, apostle, that, that thy apostle may say to them, You are formerly in darkness, but now you are in the light in the Lord. But they desired to be light, not in the Lord, but in themselves. They conceive the nature of the soul to be the same as what God is, and thus, would have, and thus have become a thicker darkness than they were. For in their dread arrogance they, uh, they have gone farther, to, farther away from thee, uh, from thee the true light that lights every man that comes into the world. Mark what you say and blush uh, for, the sh for shame. Mark what you say and blush for shame. Draw near to him and be enlightened, and your faces will not be ashamed. While I was deliberating wh whether I would serve, my, serve the Lord my God now, as I had long proposed to do, it was I who willed, uh, and it was also I who was unwilling. In either case, it was I. I neither willed with my whole will, nor um, 
uh, nor was I wholly unwilling. And so I was at war with myself and torn apart by myself, and this strife was against my will. Yet it did not uh, show the presence of another mind, but the punishment of my own. Thus it was uh, no more I who did it, but the sin that dwelt in me, the punishment of a sin freely committed by Adam, and I was a son of Adam. So what he's saying is basically there are a lot of people, you know, again, this, this, this wrestling that we have, you know, between the, the will to do good and the will to do evil, many will say that we have two minds. You know, we have one good mind, we have one bad mind. And that's what he's saying, that, that, itself, is, that itself is evil. This wrestling. So he, just specifically go back to what he said. So it be clear. Okay. Uh, doo -doo -doo -doo. So it was uh, I who willed and was also I who was unwilling. So in either case, it was I. Uh, yet it did not show the presence of another mind, but the punishment of my own. Be thus, it was no more I who did it, but the sin that dwelt in me. The punishment of a sin freely committed by Adam, and I was a son of Adam. So again, this punishment, so this will, this, 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 this conflicting, because he's saying, you know, uh, it, it is I who will, and it is I who am also unwilling. <laughs> Both in, the, in either case, it is I. You know, it's not, it's not another mind, it's the punishment of my own in sin. That punishment, which came and was generated from that sin, which was which was freely committed by Adam, and we were sons and daughters in Adam. Does that make sense? Okay. Any questions on that? All right. That bad boy. He didn't have to eat that apple. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs>